Okay, we've got a couple of Bible readings this morning. Uh, The first one is from Daniel 7, verses 11 to 14. I said to uh, Pete this morning, they're great verses. He said, yeah, they are. I picked them. So um, the first one, uh, verse 11, is really uh, Daniel describing his vision. So he says, Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. If we move to the last book of the Bible, Revelations, we're going to look at Revelation 1. Chapter 1, verses 9 to 20. I, John, your brother and companion, in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit And I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia and Laodicea. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, and he placed his right hand on me, and he said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead, and now look, I am alive forever." And ever, and I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, what you have seen, what is now, and what will take place later the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and on the seven golden lampstands is this the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Thanks, Stubbsy. Merry Christmas, everyone. Uh, It's been a whirlwind uh, few days, hasn't it? Uh, We've had carols, Christmas Day, now we get church uh, on Sunday. Yeah, but it's a fantastic opportunity now uh, just to finish off 
our quest for Christmas series. I recently came across an article which, yeah, really got me riled up, really got me fired up. Uh, It was a story about a bride who faked terminal cancer in order to scam people out of their hard-earned cash. And I had to cross-check this article just to see if it was real or not, because it seemed so unbelievable. You know, as, as if you'd make up something like cancer. But that's exactly what Tony Standen did. Uh, she faked cancer so that she could play on the sympathies of others and ultimately rip them off. You know, she started this lie of hers a, a year or two out from her wedding and then she'd regularly post updates on her deteriorating condition. You know, she even shaved her head to perpetuate the lie. Uh, and a few months out from her wedding, her father passed away. That, that bit actually did happen. Uh, but she used her father's passing and her so-called cancer just to, to tug on the heartstrings of her friends and her family. She then went about setting up a GoFundMe page in order to give herself the wedding that she deserved. And obviously, she raised the money, no worries. As if anyone would deny a dying bride her dream wedding. But then the lie began to unravel. If you put it out there that you have terminal cancer and then just happen to keep being around, then people are going to start to get a bit sus. Uh, At one point, I think she even claimed to have contracted coronavirus. Anyway, as as the lies continue to spiral out of control, some of her friends uh, confronted her uh, and she just buckled. She admitted to making the whole thing up uh, and her friends went straight to the police uh, and Yeah, she was was convicted of fraud, and just this week, I believe, she was sentenced uh, to jail. Such a crazy and almost unbelievable story. I mean, who jokes about cancer in the first place? You just don't do that. Uh, Cancer is such a terrible disease that affects so many people. And, you know, I've lost both my parents uh, to the disease. So to have someone kind of make up a story about cancer. It's just crazy, unbelievable. And not only to make up the story about cancer, but to scam people out of their money. Um, It's just so bad. It really does make you rage. Now, whatever was going on in that young lady's um, mind, and, and I don't think she was completely there to make up this sort of story, you hear the story about her getting arrested, and it's like, yes, that's, that's actually a good thing. That's, that's a right thing. She can't just do what she did and get away with it. Justice needs to be done. And that's what we're thinking about today. We're thinking about the idea of justice. Uh, we're on the quest for a judge who will set things right. Now, throughout uh, their history, God's people have always faced oppression and injustice, uh, whether it be at the hands of foreign rulers or even their own leaders. The Israelites 
uh, had a difficult time of it. Uh, you scan the pages of their history, and it's just a constant narrative of slavery and foreign rule. And even when they enjoyed periods of peace, their own kings and rulers would treat them poorly and, and look out for themselves rather than the people. By Ezekiel's time, not much had changed, and God was angered by the lack of care that the leaders had for the people. So pick it up, we're in Ezekiel chapter 34, I'll read verses 7 to 10. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As surely as I live, declares the Sovereign Lord, because my flock lacks a shepherd, and so has been plundered and has become food for all the wild animals. And because my shepherds did not search for my flock, but cared for themselves rather than for my flock, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. I'll remove them from tending the flock so that the shepherds can no longer feed themselves. I will rescue my flock from their mouths and it will no longer be food for them. God's people had been abandoned. There was no one there to look after them. Uh, The leaders or the shepherds, they had neglected the sheep who were God's people and instead looked after themselves only. And God won't stand for that. He says that he will hold them accountable for their actions. Justice will be done. And those responsible for neglecting and misleading God's people will face God's righteous judgment. You know, if we fast forward 500 odd years from the time of Ezekiel uh, to the time when Jesus comes onto the scene, we notice that not much had changed. Uh, In Mark chapter 6, Jesus looks out over the people and we're told that he was filled with compassion for them because, again, they were like sheep without a shepherd. God's people had suffered mistreatment and injustice for many years, so they were longing for justice. They were really looking forward to it. They were longing for a judge who would set things right. So God had promised to make those guilty of injustice accountable for their actions. But how would this happen? Well, we get a glimpse into the nature of how justice might be established uh, in Daniel chapter 7, which Stubbsy read out earlier. So just pick it up from verse 11 of Daniel 7. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into the blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night I looked and there before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority glory and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. See, Daniel sees this grand vision of a son of man, a human being who's granted all authority, all dominion, all power. 
the Son of Man would rule with ultimate power and their kingdom would last forever. All nations and all peoples are said to bow down and worship this human being. Now, immediately prior to the verses that we just read in Daniel 7, he describes a number of terrifying beasts, each with great power and each who likewise abuse their power. The picture is them, um, of them roaming the earth and kind of devouring everything in their sight. Uh, these beasts, they're representative of certain empires and rulers, but fear seems to be the dominant characteristic of their rule. Um, they're tyrants, put simply, and they will decimate everything in their path without any regard for justice or morality. But is, it is this son of man who will bring each of these beasts to their knees. Um, Daniel sees a vision of a human who will rule with ultimate power and authority, one who will right the wrongs and administer just retribution. And as we turn to the pages of the New Testament, it quickly becomes clear who exactly this Son of Man is. Uh, Revelation chapter 1, it contains this magnificent description of the person of Jesus. So read with me from verse 12. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held the seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. You know, Christmas was only two days ago, and there we remember and celebrate the birth of Jesus. But the thing is, baby Jesus grows up and becomes something far greater than the innocent, helpless child of the nativity scenes. In our quest for Christmas series, We've noticed that this baby Jesus is no ordinary child. He's the great victor and king who will overcome all of God's enemies. Um, not only that, but he's our saviour and our rescuer, the light of the world in an otherwise dark and hopeless situation. And now as we turn to the description of Jesus given to us in Revelation chapter 1, it continues and extends and even expands that expectation of an extraordinary individual. To begin with, notice uh, in verse 13, uh, that link to Daniel, son of man, that human ruler who's going to outlast every other authority um, and bring peace and justice to the land. Um, that son of man is no other than Jesus Christ himself. He is that great hope 
Now, what else do we notice about Jesus? Well, we're told that he's clothed with a long robe and a golden sash um, around his chest. This, this imagery invokes um, the, the kind of picture of the Old Testament priest uh, and the sort of attire that they would wear. See, Jesus acts as a priest, um, not in the sense of kind of needing to offer animal sacrifices like the priests of old, but by offering his own life for us as that once-for-all sacrifice. Uh, Because Jesus was perfect and undeserving of death, his sacrifice becomes the ultimate sacrifice. Uh, As it is, his sacrifice is the only true sacrifice that's effective, uh, for, for since he alone can bear the wrath and judgment of God on our behalf. Jesus is the ultimate priest because it is only by his sacrifice that forgiveness of sins can be had. Now, what else do we learn about this Jesus? Well, there's the white hair. You know, I've started to notice a few grey hairs of my own, and, you know, I was starting to get a bit worried. Um, But these these verses have encouraged me a little bit. Um, You know, Jesus has got white hairs. Um, I want to be like Jesus, so it's kind of all good. I was was encouraged by that. Um, But what does the white hair symbolise? Well, things like wisdom, this is for Jesus, not me, um, wisdom, knowledge, understanding. Now, if you know Lord of the Rings, um, then you'll know of Gandalf's character. Uh, there he is with his white hair. Um, but Gandalf is one that knows everything. When he arrives on the scene, then hope is restored because he's got this plan. He knows what's going on and he knows what it will take to defeat the enemy. He's a picture of wisdom and understanding. And that is how we are to view Jesus. We're also told that um, Jesus' hair is white like snow. So yeah, again, this is a picture of purity and righteousness. You know, it's, it's one thing to know everything, but it would be absolutely terrifying if that knowledge were put to evil ends. But Jesus, in his knowledge, rules with justice. See, that is the kind of judge and leader that we need and want. His eyes too, they're like blazing fire, we're told. So Jesus sees everything. Not only does he see everything, but he sees it with clarity and holiness. His judgments are true and just. There's no way of fooling Jesus. His bronze feet, they present this picture of a mighty and victorious warrior. His voice being that of roaring um, waters picks up the language that Ezekiel uses to describe God himself. Jesus speaks authoritatively. He demands an audience. When he speaks, people take notice. In his right hand, we're told that there are seven stars, uh, and we're told in Revelation that these stars represent the seven churches that Jesus addresses in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation. Jesus kind of holds these churches in the palm of his hand. It's a, it's a picture of supreme power, yet also care and concern, because there are these churches kind of right there with him, before him. 
But Jesus' rule, it isn't all just kind of nice and peaceful. The description of a kind of sword protruding from his mouth makes that uh, clear. See, those that oppose Jesus will face his wrath. Um, Hebrews describes this sword as being the word of God. See, the word of God is the litmus test or the standard by which all peoples will be judged. So it's terrifying that those who, for those who oppose Jesus and his word, but utter comfort for those who honour and obey him. Lastly, his face shining like the sun, it picks up this imagery of vitality uh, and strength. And so it's hardly surprising that as John encounters this Jesus, he falls flat to the ground. I mean, what else can you do before such an awesome and powerful being? Flat to the ground, you know, partly in adoration and respect, but mostly out of fear and dread. For verses 17 and 18, how wonderful are they? When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, Fear not, I'm the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Fear not, Jesus says. He's in control. He's got it covered. He is the all-powerful one. He was dead but is now alive. He has conquered death. Not only that, but he holds the keys to death and Hades. He is the gatekeeper. He is the one who decides who is in and who is out. Now, who here is a fan of these uh, sorts of puzzles? Anyone? Anyone? Few hands. Oh, yeah, quite a few. That's good. Um, I, I must admit, I'm not a fan, so I'm just putting it out there. Uh, I find them incredibly frustrating. And I, I often find myself thinking, I think it'd just be easier just to use brute strength and you know, try and tear open the metal rather than trying to solve it the proper way. Now, Sonia, my wife, uh, she, on the other hand, she absolutely loves these. So, you know, she's got like a big tub full of these things. Maybe she's just more patient than me. I don't know. Um, but the thing with these puzzles are, once you have the key to them, and there's always a trick, then they become really simple. They become really straightforward. And often you're left thinking, once you have that key, why do I waste so much time trying to figure that out when it, it was so simple? Now, when it comes to eternal life, Jesus is the key. He unlocks the puzzle of how guilty sinners can be made right with God. So apart from him, it's impossible, uh, but with him, it's easy because he has achieved everything. As I mentioned earlier, uh, in chapters 2 and 3 of Revelation, Jesus addresses each of the churches that he holds in his right hand. And as we approach a new year, I'm hoping that there'll be something in these statements that will speak truthfully and forcefully into each of our lives. So I'm just going to summarise uh, what is said to each of these churches 
But I reckon it would be well worth your while um, to spend some time yeah, reading through Revelation chapter 2 and 3 uh, for yourself in your own time. Now, firstly, to the church in Ephesus, what does Jesus say to them? Well, they had forsaken their first love. They had lost sight of the beauty of the gospel and the wonderful riches that God has lavished on us. Are you in danger of forsaking Jesus? I think it's a real danger for many of us who have been Christians for a long time. So Jesus in the gospel, he warns of the worries and pleasures of this life, how things can weigh us down and, and kind of take our eyes off the things that matter. But only Jesus matters. You know, as we dwell upon him and who he is and all that is done for us, then everything else quickly dims in significance. You know, don't rely on the Christian that you thought you once were, but see today and kind of every day going forward um, as an opportunity to delight in Christ and to have him as your all. You know, lots of people talk about going through a midlife crisis and the thing is, I'm sort of in that age bracket right now. Um, but as Christians, we can sort of have a bit of a midlife crisis of our own. You know, maybe the grass is actually greener on the other side. You know, I've been at it, this thing, for so long now, maybe it's time for a break. Or maybe, like so many other relationships, we just grow apart from Jesus. But what else is there that compares to Jesus? What could better his love and his sacrifice for us? You know, if you feel like you're backsliding or, or a bit flat as a Christian, then share that with someone that you trust. Pray about it. Um, get back into God's word and rediscover that love that you once had. Right, next up is Smyrna. Uh, here is a church that had been faithful in suffering. You know, they had been slandered and persecuted for their faith, and yet they stayed true to Christ. You know, more suffering was to come their way, but they were called to stand firm. Um, Christ was with them, and he would keep them from ultimate harm as that one who holds the keys to death and Hades. You know, we've endured a lot this year, plenty of illness and suffering, no doubt more troubles are going to be coming our way. But the thing is, it's the risen Christ who is with us. He will keep us till the end if we remain in him. Pergamon is commended for its faithfulness to the truth. Yet even they were tempted to follow other teachings. Now, this year, many religious teachers and false gospels will spring up and seek to lead us astray. You know, they're going to be close enough to the truth so as not to turn us off completely. But near enough is not good enough when it comes to the truth. There is only one truth, and that is the truth of the gospel as revealed to us in the Scriptures. The Scriptures are where we come to um, know of God and to grow in our knowledge of Him. By His Word... Jesus will judge the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. 
And so as the new year turns around, why not commit to reading God's word more regularly than you did um, this year? Mel's already provided a couple of ways to do that. So you can do it on your, your own. You can use those daily Bible reading notes. Um, or you can do it in a group. Um, sign up for a grow group. Um, you can meet one-to-one with people. Um, plenty of options there. All right, next up is Thyatira, who are warned not to be swayed by immorality and the pleasures of this world. Jesus the judge stands ready to punish any wrongdoing. And here's the thing that I found. It's usually when we're tired and weary that we let our guard down in regards to sin and immorality. And it has been a long year. Many of of us are tired and running on empty. And that leaves us especially susceptible to falling into sin. Stand firm. Resist those temptations and Jesus will grant us authority to rule with him. To the church in Sardis, he tells them to wake up. You know, maybe they'll just going through the motions. Many church folk are guilty of that. Jesus would say to them, snap out of it. Life and death are on the line. Eternal realities are at stake. What you do now matters and has eternal ramifications. The church in Philadelphia, they had little strength uh, and yet they had kept Jesus' word and not denied him. You know, what, what champions they are. To them, Jesus says, oh, I'm coming soon. Persevere and they would be in God's presence forever. And I feel all of us need to hear this after the year that we've had. No doubt we're going to be continued to weigh, be weighed down by COVID and all the stress and disappointment and anxiety that comes from it. You know, Jesus knows our battles, he knows our weaknesses, he knows our struggles, he knows it all. And to that he says, I am coming soon. I'm coming on the clouds of heaven as the mighty one. Hang in there, persevere to the end and you will receive the crown of glory. Keep going, brothers and sisters, during this difficult time because At the end of it all, Jesus is there waiting to accept us into his kingdom. To the church in Laodicea, Jesus is scathing. He calls them lukewarm and indifferent. It's as if they couldn't care less about the things of God. And Jesus is absolutely disgusted by this kind of attitude. He will vomit these sorts of people out of his mouth. Jesus thinks lukewarm Christianity is revolting. It's a bare minimum Christianity. A Christianity just for the sake of keeping up appearances. And sadly, so much of so-called Christianity in Australia is like this. Be warned, because Jesus sees through the veneer. He sees everything. He knows us better than we know ourselves. And he is ready and waiting as the supreme judge of all. Now, I do want to acknowledge, though, that I think there's a difference between 
indifference and ignorance. Um, And it feels like Jesus is really attacking the willful indifference of those who know what is right and true and yet couldn't care less. If that's you, then be warned. But if, on the other hand, you simply do not know enough about Jesus to make up a decision about him, then I believe it places you in a different uh, situation. If you're searching for the truth, then there is ample opportunity for you to find answers to the questions that you have. As Mel mentioned, we, we run a course here in the lakes called Life. Uh, there's one about to start up uh, in early Feb. And yeah, it, it's a fantastic opportunity to explore the claims of Jesus in an open and laid-back way. Uh, so yeah, if that's of interest to you, then yeah, come chat to me about it or chat to one of the other staff about it and we'll get that info out to you. Right, justice. Justice is something that we all know and we all long for. Um, Something in us just kind of screams out when we see injustice and the abuse of power. We long for things to be made right. And as we've seen today, Jesus is the righteous judge that we all crave. And yet, as we affirm Jesus as the righteous judge, we need to make sure that we ourselves are ready for him because we're included in those who are to be judged. But how wonderful is it um, that we Christians have no reason whatsoever to fear. Instead, we have the one who was once dead, but is now alive. He's the one who reigns now with all authority. We have the ones who has the keys to life itself. We're the one who endured the cross um, so that we could be spared. That's the Jesus and mighty King that we follow. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we um, pray and give thanks um, for Jesus, the mighty judge. Um, Father, over the course of this year, so much has happened. We've been weighed down by so much. Um, And yet it is refreshing and comforting to know that Jesus stands as the judge and ruler of all. Um, Father, as the world has been out of control, help us take comfort in the fact knowing that Jesus is in control. Uh, Father, we pray that you might strengthen and encourage us um, in our time of need. Uh, Father, we pray that we wouldn't take Jesus um, in a light way, but that we would continue to follow him and trust him and live for him every day of our lives. Uh, Lord, things are going to continue to be um, difficult for us, so strengthen us by your Spirit. Help us to trust in Christ um, more and more and help us long for that day when he returns to sweep us all up in glory. And we pray these things through his mighty name. Amen.